won't tell you how it's how it is sometimes. Stephen has a face. Just anyways, everything's funny to him. If you have your Bibles, turn back to First Corinthians chapter thirteen. We're going to finish up our series this morning on love. We've been going through so many different things. Uh, we're very excited to be able to finally wrap this series up. I hope it's been a benefit to you. I hope it's been a help. Um, I could probably go on for probably another month and a half regarding uh, love because there's so much to still be covered. Um, but I'm hoping and praying that as we uh, take, take God's call seriously in, in loving others, that we would be reminded of the fact that God has loved us with that kind of love. So we've looked at uh, a few different variations of love. One of them was storge, which was a familial love. We've looked at eros, which is a romantic love, the one that the world constantly portrays in movies all the time towards us. Uh, we also looked at phileo love, which is a friendship love, a love that, yeah, as, as mentioned before, I believe is missing in a lot of our marriages. Uh, we don't love our spouse as a friend sometimes. Uh, we tend to um, focus on the eros when needed, but really forget the friendship love. That's necessary as well. But as we've stated previously, and we're going to confirm this morning, agape love is the one that outlasts them all. It's the ultimate love. It's the ultimate view of love because it comes from God himself. The only reason this love is as powerful as it is is because it comes from an all-powerful God. An all-powerful God is the only one that can love this way. And he gives us the command and the charge to love this way to our, to our spouse, our families, to those around us. And he demonstrated that to us by giving us Jesus Christ, who unconditionally loved us while we were still sinners. We've looked at a few different descriptions of love. We're going to wrap up the last three here this morning. We've looked at the fact that love is patient with others. This is agape love we're talking about. It's useful to others. It's not jealous. It does not show off. It is not proud. Not rude not self-focused, not easily angered, does not keep score, it's broken by injustice, it's thrilled with the truth, it suppresses others' flaws, and this morning we're going to look at the last three here, it believes the best, it stands assured, and does not give up. So, believes the best. See that in verse number seven, the second part, bears, bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. So we're looking at believes all things here. Love chooses to believe the best, not the worst about others. Love chooses to believe the best, not the worst about others. The default response for most of us is assuming the worst about people. Is that not the case? Isn't that the default? We meet somebody for the first time, and for some reason, we have the cynic in us that rises up. I don't know if they are who they seem to be. Now, maybe there are rare exceptions. Maybe there are a few people that we meet along the way that, you know, the first time we meet them, we just trust them right away. We just absolutely think that they're a trustworthy person, and that would be the exception to the rule. Um, but many times our default response is, is to be cynical, right? To, to, to view other people in the light of negativity, if you will, right? That there's something off, uh, you know, in them, so because there's something off in them, I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if I can love them the way they ought to. Um, and we, we tend to have different variations of this come up. Uh, the person that encouraged someone else forgot to encourage us, so they left us with the impression that they don't care about us. 
Somebody encouraged someone else, they forgot to encourage us, so they left us the impression that they don't care about us, right? Uh, we got somebody something nice for their birthday, Christmas, they didn't seem to not get something as nice for us, so apparently they don't care as much as I do for them. Do you see how that could be a problem? Don't tell me that's never happened to you. See, the, the thing is, is we as, we as uh, how can I say this, um, pilgrims on the way tend to think other pilgrims are not traveling as well as we are. So we, we tend to constantly look at others through a lens that is different than what God looks at us through. And one of the things that you know, also pops up sometimes is you know, we assume that the parents of those children we meet must not, be, must not have done a good job. Have you seen what their children grew up to be? I mean, these are serious things that we think about sometimes. We assume that because a child has grown into an adult that's not really what we would expect as a believer, that the parents did a terrible job. Can I, can I just, church, can I just be really honest with you? This is an area we need to repent of. We need to show mercy. We need to show grace. We need to show love. And sadly, what we do is we tend to look down on those that have a family that is not like our own because we tend to think our families are better than someone else's. Look, parents, if your children are walking with the Lord, praise God for that. It doesn't give you a right to look down at other parents whose children are not. Period. It's all grace. If it's all grace, you didn't deserve it. It isn't because you prayed an extra three times that your children are walking more faithfully with the Lord. Because I would, I would beg to differ that maybe potentially that other parent that's struggling with their children and they don't walk with God faithfully, maybe they've been praying more frequently for their children than even you have. That's the tragedy here, folks. We don't live love the way God wants us to. We assume the worst about people. By default. And yes, I know we are all sinners. I agree. God's words clearly states that. But love looks beyond that because God loved us so much that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Love overlooked what we were to what we would be. We think others are upset with us because they haven't talked to us for a few weeks. Ever happened to you? So-and-so hasn't said anything to me. They don't like me. They don't love me. Maybe they have things going on in their life right now that you're not aware of. Maybe some close person to them hurt them, and they've kind of sheltered themselves for a while. Maybe there are some things going on that you're not aware of that you should be aware of because it may pertain to things that you could actually help that person in. And the reason why so many of us don't connect with other people is because we assume everybody else needs to make the first move. Imagine if you, were, you had a church where everybody waited for everyone else to make the first move. Who would make the first move? No one. It's time to get over our pride, church, and be the first to make a move sometimes. Ask the question. You're not sure? Ask the question. Stop assuming. A lot of our assumptions are off. There are a lot of assumptions that are made by Christians every day 
that are invalid. We think, think others are so judgmental of our family because we don't attend church faithfully like others do. Maybe they care that you're in fellowship. Have you ever thought of that? Like, maybe they're not out to judge you for it. Bless you. Maybe they're not out to judge you for it. They really actually want you to be a part of the fellowship and part of the community. Why is our first response always, people are just judging us because we're not going to church faithfully? Can I I stop for a second and give you my heart on this? I'm concerned for a lot of you that don't come to church faithfully. That doesn't mean I'm judging you for it. I'm concerned for a lot of you that don't take God's word seriously. That doesn't mean I'm judging you for it. I'm concerned for families that want the world to dictate how their children grow up outside of the word of God. I love you. That's why I'm concerned. I'm not out to prove anything to you. I have nothing to prove. I have my own children I'm raising. But I believe God's word is that powerful and that important in our lives. Folks, if someone's out of church, our encouragement to them should be to come back to church, not in a condescending way, but hey, you know what? We missed you. We need you here. We want you to be in fellowship with the rest of the body of Christ. We don't want you taking for granted the fact that you have a local church here that you can attend and be in in fellowship with. And I'm sorry, there's something that live stream just won't do. It's a useful tool, and we use it. But it isn't something that should replace physical gathering of believers. And as we get into discipleship, a physical gathering in homes... Folks, we're too busy to prioritize the right things. We have no problem going Black Friday shopping late at night or staying up late for those special deals online or on Facebook till 3 in the morning, but we can't come to church on Sunday mornings. Look, you're sick. I understand. I get that. God understands that. We don't need you passing that around. We're not talking about that. But if you don't have a valid excuse, if you don't have a valid reason for not attending church, why are you missing out? These are serious things. We're going to talk about that in a little bit when it comes to love and endurance. This doesn't mean just blindly believing whatever people tell us that we need to believe, okay? When it says believes all things, it does not mean that you just blindly believe whatever people say and whatever people do. That's not what it's talking about here, okay? Let's make sure we get that clear. This is believing the best about them in light of what God's word says and how we need to treat people. In light of how God's word says we should treat others. The thing is, our words have impact. If we are accepting of others' violation of God's word without addressing them, that's the furthest thing from love. It isn't loving to let people passively walk away from their faith. It isn't loving to ignore when others don't want to walk with God and just step back and let God take care of them. Because God wants us to be the instruments of reconciliation. He's called us to reconciliation throughout his word. We're ambassadors for Christ. And that doesn't mean just ambassadors to the world. It means ambassadors to even those that are walking away from Christ and off on a path that is leading to destruction in their life. You do know that, right, we as believers can have destruction in our lives? 
You do know that there is a discipline that's pretty serious and severe that can happen to us. And love in understanding that there's a better result if this person understood this one point right here. Goes and pursues because it believes the best. It believes that there's something else that could happen that will be better for that person. The reason why so many of you and so many of us, I would say myself included here, the reason why I think it's difficult sometimes to approach certain people is because we have this tendency to assume that if a person's confronting something in our lives, they're there because they're trying to prove that they're better than us. Can I encourage you and love believing the best that when somebody comes and approaches you, maybe they are looking out for what's best for you, not necessarily looking down on you? Now, you could be right. Your, your hunch might could be right. Your, your, you could be right about the fact that the person is looking down on you. Okay, I understand that. But maybe there's another reason. And we need to be willing to give people a, a pass sometimes rather than assuming the worst right away. Believing the best does not mean excusing everything. It's addressing sin with the intention of restoration. You see, God already knew who we were going to be and sent Jesus before we ever trusted him. Love connects with faith for the better of the other. Love connects with faith for the better of the other. Without this kind of love, we'll constantly look at others through a limited view. We will think nothing good can come of that person, that family, that situation. We will assume that because it's always been this way, it will always be this way. Look, how many of you have a past that you're not proud of? Anybody? Am I the only one that has a past that I'm not proud of sometimes? Imagine if, imagine if we all viewed one another through that past lens rather than where we are today currently in Christ. You see, that's the problem with a lot of us. We don't see the best because we're not looking in the future as God even did with us. When God, if you will, regenerated your heart, He knew how messed up you were. It wasn't like a shock to Him. Oh man, I didn't even know. Do you realize the Apostle Paul murdered Christians before he came, became one? That's one of the things I was talking to the high schoolers about this last week. A lot of people will mention, yeah, you know, when they stoned Stephen, they, they threw their coats at, the, at you know, Saul's feet. That's where the text says Saul instead of Paul. But what's interesting is people don't realize that right in the next chapter, it's connecting the dots for you that Saul's the one that has a lot to do with all the persecution of the Christians. It wasn't just that he just stood idly by. He was very involved in this whole process. And yet God redeemed him. Jesus Christ had this view of love, especially when you think of his relationship with his disciples. Particularly Peter, right? I mean, how many times did he really, if you will, fail? Peter would make a great statement. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then... Shortly after, don't go to the cross. How dare you? Don't do it. Rebuked, called Satan by Jesus. Not exactly. Seems loving, does it? How would you like Jesus to call you that? Get behind me, Satan. Then he tells Jesus that he will never deny him. 
And then what does he do? Denies him. Gets restored by Christ. And here's what's amazing. This is the part that, I, you know, like I said, I just recently connected the dots on this part. Peter was bold in Acts. And one thing that I was, I was really thinking through as we were, I was reading through the Gospels and then really getting into Acts, it's interesting that Jesus, went before he went away, he made the statement to the disciples. He said, it's better and advantageous for you that I go away. It's better for you that I go away, and I'm going to send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. What's amazing is in the book of Acts, when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, it constantly says this, filled with the Spirit, preaches with boldness. Peter had a boldness he didn't have when Christ was present. It was mind-blowing to me when I connected the dots. Sorry, forgive the rabbit trail. In fact, you have a similar situation also that happens with Paul and Barnabas, right? Barnabas wants to take John Mark, who originally bailed on them on their missionary journey, right? He bails on the first missionary journey with them. When the time comes to do another mission trip, if you will, uh, Barnabas exemplifies agape love. And Paul goes, no, no. He wasn't faithful last time. We're not giving him another shot. They tend to be like Paul more often than Barnabas. Paul just sternly refused to bring him with them. They separate. Barnabas was later proven right. And, commend, and Paul actually commends John Mark toward the, ends of his, towards the end of his ministry. We need to realize that we all have sin that typically takes time to overcome. You know, you, you and I have sin that may take years to truly conquer. With it still possibly popping up. There are certain things I remember from childhood I wish I could always forget. Things that, as a teenager, I really wish I could erase out of my mind. But man, I am just so grateful that God overlooks the past, the sin. We need to realize that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. This next part's not on the screen, but I'm going to read this. This is in reference to Joseph in Genesis when his, when his uh, disciples, his brothers... Sold them off to slavery. Joseph comes back, second most powerful in the land. They come begging to him for food. I'm just giving you a Roman summary. And towards the end, his father, his father passes away, and his, his sons are afraid that now Joseph is going to take it out on us. Joseph is really going to get us because daddy's gone. And because daddy's gone, the wrath will come finally. But check this out. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph. So, so they didn't even actually talk to him directly. They sent somebody to send a message. Saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? 
But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's love. That's agape love lived out. Where you're not just overlooking the fault. You're providing for the very people that did you wrong. Is that not what God does with us? He doesn't just remove our sins from the east to the west. He just doesn't remove them far from us. He literally restores us, provides for us, grants us grace for the next day. Thomas Watson makes a statement. He says, the mercies of God make a sinner proud, but a saint humble. Believer, how do you respond when you know how merciful God is to you when others are in sin? Does it make you more proud that you're not sinning the same way they are? Or does it humble you because you know that you've received mercy undeserved? Just because your sin isn't the same doesn't make your sin better. We're not picking from a list and your list is better. Or my list is better. When God covers our sin, we are to be more loving and more merciful to those around us. And yet some Christians are the most self-righteous people that we know. You don't want to be the person that stands before God one day and loses out on so many things that he could have done in your life because you look down at everybody in pride. And instead of believing what could be the best in a person later on, you constantly assume the worst. And that person, there's no hope for them at all. Speaking of which, love stands assured. Love stands assured. Hopes all things. Agape love stands because it is rooted in God himself. See, if agape love was rooted in us, it falls apart. It falls apart because we change with the seasons. How many of you have experienced all sorts of emotions just in the last week alone? Let me guess, it probably wasn't, I'm so happy every five seconds. Frustration, disappointment, depression, anxiety, frustration, God forbid, anger. with a few sprinkles of joy and peace and gratitude. The reason why agape love stands or hopes is because it has something that is sure. It is not like in our English language, I hope I get that new car. It's an assurance, it's a certainty. There's an assurance that's contained in love. We have a hope that is unshakable. Because we have a God that does not change. Love looks forward with expectation. Love looks forward with 
expectation. Love looks at others with an expectation that God will do a work in them that we can't even imagine. If one lives out their faith as God would like them to. Church, we pray, we plead, we warn others with the hope that God does something greater than we can imagine in another person's life. Our hope is in God, not in our methodology. A Christian living without hope is a sad excuse for the gospel message. I believe the church that is hopeless will never give anyone hope. And what I mean by a church that is hopeless is Christians that are defeated, living with no fight in them. Look, many of us say we have a hope. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But we live defeated every day. How do we know? Well, some of us, Facebook reveals that. Some of it is in the comments that we make to other believers or people that we know at work. Ask yourself this question. Do people around you know that you are full of hope? Just ask that point blank to yourself before God. Or do they know you as the negative complaining type? That's always whine, whine, whine. Life is so horrible. I'm so glad I'm going to heaven. This place is so terrible. I'm so glad I'm saved with that kind of enthusiasm. What do we have to offer others if our life is full of frustration, excuses, and complaints? Why would anybody want to be a Christian if they met me and you and me? That's the question we have to ask. You realize that you are called to be an ambassador for Christ. I said that earlier. You're an ambassador. That means you represent Jesus. If your representation is poor, guess what you make Jesus look like? The reason why a lot of people don't want to come to church, they don't want to be around the church family, they don't want to be around other Christians, is so many times we're just miserable people. Wine, 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 life is so hard, poor us. Christian, we need some hope. We have hope. Why are we living defeated? Why are we such cowards? Oh, did you read the news again? It's over now. You know, Christians back then had it worse than you do today in America. How would you like your house taken away from you tomorrow? And you don't even see it coming. How would you like someone knocking on your door and taking away your wife and kids because you stand for the faith? I believe with all my heart, if we found our hope in Christ once again and took God at his word, we would restore our relationships with others, our marriages, our finances, and all those things that we constantly get frustrated with. Because our hope is not found in those things. As great as your marriage is, you better not put your hope in that marriage. Some of us say, oh, it's not that great. That's not where your hope is found. 
Your hope should not be in your finances. It can be taken from you like that. See, if we have hope that is found in God alone, then we can offer people something that they don't have. But if we don't live in that kind of hope, then we're not giving anybody anything that they don't already have in this culture. Sadly, there are a lot more people that are positive thinking that have a greater influence on people than the church does. Because the church does not give an everlasting hope to those around them. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in His promises. You want to know why you don't have hope? You have no promises you've been reminded of lately because you've not been in His Word. That's one of the reasons why we only have certain verses we go to because those are the only ones we know. I will never leave you or forsake you. Yes, we know that verse. Next. Uh, yeah, John 3.16. Thank you, Jonathan. Psalm 130, verse 5. This is David's heart. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And where does he find his hope? And in his word, I do hope. I hope you see a theme of where I'm going with discipleship. I really hope you get to see the theme there, where I'm going with discipleship. Because I believe that is the only thing we have that will reignite this church. It isn't going to be a cool story, a neat paradigm, a wonderful point. It's going to be the word. Because that's the only place you're going to find the hope that you know will outlast this life. Be a good verse to memorize. And join David in that hope. David Jeremiah says this. He says, truth offends everyone outside its definition. But the irony of truth is that the greater its potential for offense, the greater its potential for giving hope. You see, the reason we don't have hope as believers is we're living in falsehood all the time. We're believing lies and wondering why we don't live in hope. If you want the truth, guess where it's found? Right here in the Bible. It's not found some wonderful little article that someone posted about positively getting over the problems in your life. Oh, it may help for two days. It won't give you anything lasting. Why? Because you still have that same corrupt nature inside that you're going to have to fight against. And the only thing that will give you any strength to stand against it is a lasting, living hope. John MacArthur makes a statement. It says, The rope of love's hope has no end. As long as there is life, love does not lose hope. Parents, church, you do not stop 
loving those that you're not sure will be regenerated. You do not stop knowing that there is a hope waiting for you that may potentially reach that person that you've been praying for for so many years. Mother, father, don't quit on your kids. They might not be kids today, but you know what I mean. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop reaching out to them. Don't stop encouraging them. And if you're praying for them, you know what might help? Without even saying a lot. Hey, by the way, son, daughter, I'm praying for you. I don't have a lot to add right now, but I'm praying for you. And number 15, love does not give up. Love does not give up. I get that from endures all things. Love withstands the assault. The word hupomeno is properly a military word that means to sustain the assault of an enemy. It's used in the New Testament to express the idea of sustaining the assaults of suffering or persecution in the sense of bearing up under them and enduring them patiently. It's from Hodge. This right here is why agape love is the greatest form of love you will find. Because this form of love endures. It withstands the assault. If you don't think there's a fight to love, then you don't know what love is. You and I need to assume that love does not include a fight. Agape love is a love that withstands onslaught and keeps going. If you feel you have nothing worth fighting for, agape love may be missing. Quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. We may have lost this battle when it comes to trying to show love to someone else, but we know that it's not over yet. You realize that there are so many many people in your life that God potentially may, may reach 20 years from now and you're not paying attention and you're not being the steward that he wants you to be because you're constantly worried about what they're saying to you today? The very people that opposed Christ the most were rescued by him. How would you like to go from someone that hates Christ to someone that passionately loves him and God uses mightily to write most of the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? That's what you have in the Apostle Paul. And yet you and I are constantly like, oh, there's, you know, I've already invested a lot in this person. It's time to stop. Now, does that mean that we should have discernment and some people may be very 
if you will, bad for our spiritual walk? Yes, we've talked about this before. You should have certain people you potentially stay away from. Or love at a distance. Remember we talked about that? Love at a distance. But you don't give up simply because the person's being rude to you right now. Or doesn't want to listen right now. Or is rejected for quite some time. Just by the way, living out agape love does not mean that it will always turn out the way you would like it to. Okay? It's not a promise that if you live unconditional love, it's going to always turn out the way you want it to. But it does mean that in the face of the circumstances, you are able to press on. That's what agape love is. It's not waiting for the circumstances to be the way I'd like them to be. It is saying, regardless of the circumstances, there's unconditional love because it comes from God himself. You see this love best exemplified by Christ Jesus in his determination to endure the cross. Being rejected by others, including his own, to pour out his life for those that were his enemies at that time. We should not give up on our marriages, our relationships, or our children if we understand this view of love. Do you think God does not understand that we have very difficult circumstances to deal with? Does he not understand that we are difficult people ourselves? See, we should not give up on reaching others that we have tried to reach for so many years simply because we have exhausted ourselves. Because remember, love understands that while there's life, there's hope. And I want to be an encouragement in this one area that I don't think I've mentioned much. But I want to make this statement to those of you that have had certain people you've been trying to reach for years, and you're not sure it'll ever get to what you would like it to be. Whether it's salvation that you're talking about, or whether it's that person being restored and being a consistent Christian. Mother, father, your child, your son or daughter, may not come to saving faith until you're gone. And I want to ask you to not quit till you're done. Till God takes you from this life, don't quit praying for them. There are certain people that we love that we're going to continue praying for. And sometimes the prayer may be, God, please have them hit a brick wall. Make them see. They're not seeing. I know it's hard to love others that don't love us the way we would want to be loved. But that's not what agape love is. It's a willful love that says, it doesn't matter how you respond to me. In fact, I'm sure we've said this many times. You know how many times I've told them? Yes. God knows how many times he's told you.
2 Timothy 1, 2, verse 10 says this. This is Paul's heart. It says, So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Want to have some boldness in your faith? Be willing to endure anything for someone's salvation. Have the, the heart the Apostle Paul had. Oh, it's going to hurt sometimes. It's going to hurt. I don't know if you realize this. Paul went through multiple beatings, ultimately ending with his life executed. Enduring all things, if it'll bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. That's the kind of love God is calling us to. And that's why this love is different than any other love you'll find. Hebrews 10.36 says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But what's interesting is if you read the context, it won't be on your screen. I'm just going to read verses 32 through 39. It says this, But remember the earlier days when after being spiritually enlightened, you patiently endured a great conflict of sufferings. This is the early church, just FYI, and what they went through. Okay? This is, these are early groups of believers that endured quite a bit of persecution for their faith. Okay? It's not modern day America, just to bring the context. Endured a great conflict of suffering, sometimes by being made a spectacle, publicly exposed to insults and distress, and sometimes by being companions with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy and deep concern for those who were imprisoned, and you joyfully accepted the unjust seizure of your belongings and confiscation of your property, conscious of the fact that you have a better possession and a lasting one prepared for you in heaven. Do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it has a glorious and great reward. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromises compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, the one justified by faith, shall live by faith. And if he draws back, shrinking in fear, my soul has no delight in him. But our way is not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we are of those who believe, relying on God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and by this confident faith, preserve the soul. Love endures. Believer, faith endures. Your faith needs to endure. Yes, it may feel like a roller coaster ride sometimes. But you need to have an endurance and assurance that God knows what he's doing. And that those things are up to him, not you. Your tomorrows are in his hands, not yours. 
I don't know why we live like we control the day. How many of you have ever seen your schedule go off track really quick? How many of you have seen God do that sometimes? Folks, love endures. It overcomes even in the hardship. And parents, if our children want to see something that's lasting, they need to see that we endure in our faith. That we don't walk away from the things that God has given to us. That we don't take for granted the faith that's been passed down to us. So in conclusion, number one, have you given up in loving someone God would not have wanted you to give up on? Ask yourself the question. Have you given up in loving someone that God has not wanted you to give up on? Are there people in your life that you've given up on because you've just found that it's a waste of time to ever reach out to them again? Maybe this morning, as God's speaking to you, somebody gets engraved in your mind again. And you've given up on them. You've stopped praying for them. You've stopped reaching out to them. You start assuming things because you just didn't see any change. Number two, do you love others out of duty or from your heart? Examine this in your life. Do you love others out of duty or from your heart? Do you love others because it's a requirement God calls you to love? It's like a chore. I got to do this. Yep, yep. Got to make my coffee for my spouse or else he'll be a grouch. Got to write that note or else they won't think I care. Church, I need to do better than this. The reason why we don't love out of our heart and we love out of duty is because we don't have the word in us that gives us that empowerment through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not work apart from the God's word. And the reason why you and I try to reach others and it seems like it's empty is because we are empty. Let me recommend that you and I start making sure the word is more of a priority and then we'll see what God does when we speak to other people. Because you're going to have a heart for people that you don't have if you're not in God's Word. Oh, you may have a sentimental thought. I hope they get saved one day. I hope that person comes to the Lord. I hope that person starts walking better in their life and they're not into drugs and all the other stuff that they're doing that's destroying their life. You may have that feeling for people, but you're not going to have the biblically ground agape love that's only found in God's Word. That is why this is the greatest form of love. It comes from God himself. In fact, as the last phrase that we're going to look at here, in verse number 8, the first part, love never fails. Love never fails. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this love that you've bestowed to us. We thank you for the gift 
of eternal life we found in Jesus Christ. As undeserving as we've been, you reached out, believing the best, seeing the future, our conformity to Christ one day. That we who are enemies are now friends. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the working of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that this morning we would leave from this church with an emboldened passion in loving others the way that you would want us to. Not because we deserve anything, but because you bestowed on us what was so undeserved. We ask that as we remind ourselves of the things that we have from you, that we would be constantly willing to give and share of those things that you've given to us with others. We ask that this week would be another week that we would learn to love like we haven't in the past. We ask this in Jesus' name.